I'm your host each and every week as we follow the narratives of formerly incarcerated individuals and their journey back into freedom. We'll touch on the abject poverty and trauma and addiction and mental health issues that led to incarceration. We'll have discussions of how our criminal justice system treats individuals as they get into the prison system. Talk about what the prison system looks like. Are there places where rehabilitation could be offered instead of prison? And once someone gets to prison, what kind of programs are they involved in that will keep them from coming back? Is it just religious programs? Are there no programs at all? Have our programs stopped due to COVID? And then mainly we'll talk about some of the things people face upon their journey home. Were they able to find housing, employment, what type of discrimination did they face? We're doing it all on Uncarcerated. Follow us at Uncarcerated on Twitter or ReentryPod on Facebook. You can also email me, mlscottblog at gmail.com. If you've been touched by this, you might be a family member of an incarcerated individual. That's one of the things we want to be here for. If you have a story of someone that's incarcerated, that's being abused, or this, this podcast has touched you in some sort of way, please email me, mlscott.com blog at gmail.com and uh, we can see if we can get your story out there. Speaking of talking to people who are incarcerated, so the very first episode of Uncarcerated, you all never actually heard because we had some technical issues. And it was by a a guy I've mentored for a while and um, I wanted him to tell his story. He was 21 years old and was sentenced to prison for 10 years for possession of heroin. And this is a guy for a couple of years had tried to get help for mental health, didn't have health insurance. His family had some financial issues. Uh, You know, he couldn't really go to his family because that was where some of the problems with emotional abuse and stuff like that were going on. And so this guy was lost in the world and found solace in drugs and alcohol the way so many addicts do, except he didn't have the money for rehab. He didn't have insurance. He didn't have a support system. And once he did get in trouble, he didn't have an attorney. So he was dealt with like a public defender who never even saw him. And he gets in front of the judge, and he didn't even score out to prison time. And uh, this state, I'm going to keep the state and his identity um, off the show, but this state sentenced him to 10 years. So he goes to prison, does a couple of programs, uh, comes home, gets in a work release center, Gets a car, gets a job, gets a girlfriend. Uh, he's home for, oh, about a year. And he starts having mental health issues. So they, you know, start doing, if you've ever been down the rabbit hole of trying to tackle your mental health, it has to be dealt with in so many different areas. It's almost like that thing where you put your finger in to stop the leak and then a leak starts somewhere else. You know, you're talking diet, nutrition, exercise, uh, chemical issues, um, therapy, 
processing trauma from your childhood. I mean, it's just so involved. And to do that while you're at a work release center and while you're on probation is difficult. And uh, he relapsed uh, and violated because of the relapse. But they didn't, they didn't put him in jail. They said, this was back in October. They said, listen, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. We'll bump this court date down the road. We'll see how you did. So since October... This guy has worked his program, not had any arrests, been sober, gets in front of the judge a few weeks ago, actually has someone from the rehabilitation center come speak on his behalf. I mean, he was a pillar of that community. The judge looked at him, took all the time he had remain, uh, remaining on his probation and gave it all to him in prison. So this guy is now in prison, on his way to prison, till 2024, no violence, Never heard a fly. This isn't a guy working the system, hopping from rehab to rehab, buying lawyers. A lot of people listen to this show, and if you haven't been touched by issues of mental health, addiction, poverty, or the criminal justice system, I think there's this feeling of, well, just don't do those things. Ah, you, you're crazy? Don't be crazy. So uh, that's his backstory, and right now... We're going to have him call live from jail and, and discuss what's going on in his life. And I'm just going to try to do this over the phone. Uh, bear with me on technology. An incarcerated individual at It will be recorded and may be monitored. If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse this free call, press 2. Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. I just want to tell you I miss you. I know it sucks in there. Let's. I've already kind of given your backstory of your mental health issues leading up to you know being 21, getting the possession charge, going to prison, working really hard at your program, coming home, having some depression problems, having a relapse, and then being freed to keep having some success only to have all your backup time given to you. So that's kind of where we've gotten. I've kind of given the, the backstory there. Um, did I get that about right? Can you tell us how expensive are phone calls in there? How expensive is it for you to communicate with friends and family members? Well, counterintuitive as it is, um, it's actually cheaper for me to call you because you're out of state. If I were to call somebody in state, which obviously most of the people that I associate with are from in state, uh, it would be 53 cents a minute. So for a 10-minute phone call, it's $5.30. A 10-minute phone call, and in that time, you have a lot of uh, legal things to go over. It's not like you can actually connect with anyone. So, you know, like we've we've gotten rid of connection altogether. Um, so you're currently in county awaiting to go to prison for the next few years. Um, what are the conditions in, ca in county jail where you are right now? Well, um, when you first get here, because of COVID, uh, you spend the first 10 days on 23-hour lockdown. Um, they let you out for an hour a day. You are in an empty day room, which consists of concrete floors and steel tables and a couple of phones that work sometimes and don't work a lot of the time. Um, after you get out of quarantine, you're put into a regular block, which is much the same as the quarantine block, except you're only locked down for 12 hours a day rather than 23 hours a day. I mean, books are scarce. Commissary is expensive. Phone calls are expensive. We have little tiny TVs that can't really hear very well because the echoes so badly and it's just it's, it's not a good time 
at all. What are some, uh, you know, like aside from like missing your family and your friends and, and obviously this daunting task of having to do the Zen Buddhist practice of acceptance of something that is so beyond frustrating and grossly unfair, beyond the sort of the normal things that I think people can can associate with, what is something that you miss right now? That is something that maybe isn't out of the ordinary. Well, actually, yesterday I was fortunate enough to be able to go to an AA meeting that they have uh, once a week in the jail. It's one of the few things they do offer. And uh, I was allowed to go over to a different block with some other guys. And we actually had somebody coming in, coming in from the street who runs an AA meeting here every Tuesday. And uh, so I got to experience that. And I was very grateful to be there. And, and uh, I, it made me homesick. Like, this weird as that was for me to realize like, that was a big part of my recovery as much as like I, for the longest time I didn't want to drink the, uh, the Kool-Aid at AA I did drink the Kool-Aid when I was out there and uh, I missed the Kool-Aid man I missed the connection the, the fellowship I missed being around people that care and people that are trying to better themselves I, I remember um, just when I first got to the jail I'm fresh I'm fresh out of the courtroom in my court clothes. I get thrown in the holding cell with some guy who came in from another facility. He's got tattoos all over his face, and all he's talking about is, man, I'm shitty. I'm here back in the county. I got dope waiting for me back at the joint. I want to go there and do some mess. Like, that's all he was talking about the whole time, about how he wants to get back to prison so he can go, do, go get high. And, like, it was such a, a culture shock for me because I'm just fresh out of the recovery community. I'm actually genuinely trying to do better, and here I am. We miss you, man. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to, to have this conversation because I'm not just doing this show, uh, you know, I love you. And so uh, it's hard to hear this because... You know, I, I know that place of you're caught up in this whirlwind and you're trying to do something that seems duplicitous. You're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to take responsibility for the things you did wrong and also explain yourself and, and advocate for yourself. And often those two themes seem diametrically opposed. You know, like uh, pull up your bootstraps uh, person may, may look at you and go, you know, you did the crime, you did the time, you know, they gave you a chance, they let you out and you relapsed. And so this is what happens. But, but somebody who can actually see nuance and see effort and, and compassion and somebody who's really trying, who hasn't makes a mistake, like those are the people. And by the way, I would like to add that that's the majority of people going to prison. The minority is Mr. Face Tattoo Guy. And so, so Dave, can you just speak for a second on like, you may never get to say it again. You may, you may have to like put your head down and practice acceptance just to get through these next few years. But I want to give you this forum to just talk for a minute about how fucked up this is. Um, I did pretty well for about five months. Um, I wasn't really actively in any, any kind of recovery. I just did a few years in prison, and I thought stupidly that I was just going to be okay. I was going to work, and things are going to be okay. It didn't work out that way. I ended up relapsing, and uh, heroin is my drug of choice, by the way. Um, I ended up relapsing, and I very quickly was sent to shooting heroin on a daily basis. Um, it got out of control before I even, I mean, I don't know. Addiction's weird, but 
got out of control quickly. Um, I was on probation. The offense that I'm actually going back to prison for is um, I was in possession of less than half a gram of heroin. It was in my bedroom. Probation came to my apartment and did a random search, and they found it. Um, just to, to be clear, I wasn't selling drugs. I wasn't driving around high on drugs. I didn't have anything on my person outside of my place of residence. Not that it makes it okay, but I was literally sitting at home in my own pit of misery getting high. And they came into my pit of misery, found my drugs, and threw me in jail. Um, I was in jail for 90 days trying to get my bond reduced because it was going to cost me $3,000 cash to bond out before that happened to heroin. I didn't have $3,000 cash. I ended up getting my bond reduced, and as a condition of my bond, I was allowed to go to a recovery home. I went to a recovery home, and I excelled. I passed a drug screen a week for eight months. I was actually made the resident manager of the facility. Um, which, you know, I had extra responsibilities. I was responsible for drug testing the other residents. I was responsible for collecting rent. You know, people would hand me hundreds of dollars, and I was trusted to put that money in an envelope and put it in a particular box. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a heroin addict. I could have very easily grabbed that $500 and then paid me for rent and took off, but I never did that. You know, I was put in a place of trust, and I excelled. I, I got a great job. I was making close to $20 an hour. I got my license for the first time in my life. I bought my car. I bought a car for the first time in my life. I I cannot stress enough. I was doing better than I have ever done in my entire life. I was chairing multiple meetings too. I was I was chairing AA and NA meetings in Lafayette. You know, people 25, 30, 30 members in a meeting, like not little tiny meetings, either pretty good sized meetings. I was chairing them on a weekly basis. I was invested in my recovery and I was genuinely doing well. And the whole time I had this charge is pending because I was just out on bond. And when I go back in front of the judge, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the courtroom and the case manager from the Home with Hope came with me. I got her subpoenaed and she came there and got up on the stand, you know, took her, her oath and said nothing but great things about me. I mean, she really did an outstanding job. I couldn't have asked for her to say anything more or better than what she did. Um, I brought with me an inch and a half thick packet worth of progress reports, sponsor reports, meeting sheets, past drug screens, everything, you know, documentation, chronologically, of everything that I had done from January when I bought it out until August when I got sentenced. My lawyer went to bring it over to the prosecutor for him to look at. The prosecutor literally scoffed and waved away the papers like he was waving away some bug that was trying to land on him. Just just waved it away. My eight months of trying my ass off was, that's all it was worth to him. That's basically what he, what he did. In the middle of the courtroom, in front of the judge, in front of everybody else that was watching, like that's how much it meant. Nothing. It meant nothing to him. And they gave me four and a half years of my of time. I went in there with the level five possession charge, which I signed a plea for a, a cap of four years on that. They gave me three out of four years on the possession charge. And in addition to that, I had four and a half years worth of backup time. They gave me all of that backup time. The prosecutor only recommended for me to have three quarters of my backup time, which was still pretty harsh. He recommended for me to do 75% of my remaining four and a half years. The judge went ahead and gave me all of it. Why? 
I don't know. Everybody I've spoken to about it is baffled by it. The case manager from Home with Hope actually cried when she said because she thought for sure I was going to go home with her. She thought for sure they were going to give me a chance to do some house arrest and get a job. I mean, I was, I was close to getting hired on at the place I was working, and I would have had great benefits. I would have been making $24 an hour. Like, I, I genuinely had an opportunity to excel in life. And instead, I'm going back to the Department of Corrections. I'm losing everything. Everything. All over again. I just hope that I can hold on to some of the people that I need. Some of the, some of the friends that were there for me while I was clean. Some of the people that I met. I'm hoping that they're still there when I get out because I just want to keep telling myself that if I can build... If I can build from the ground up once, I can do it again. And I did build from the ground up. When I when I first got to that recovery home, I moved in with a bag of clothes. No money, nothing else. I moved in with the clothes on my back and a couple of changes. A pair of shoes, one pair of shoes. And from that, I built a little life for myself. And they took it away. And I, and I know, I mean, I, I did do the crime. I was in possession of drugs. That much is true. But damn it, I was trying to do better. Uh, actually, I, I didn't get any of that. Can you call back? <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. I just want to see if I can make you laugh. Um, yeah, man. It's it's uh, it's really beyond frustrating. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I know I'm supposed to be a little more objective than this, hosting, uh, a, you know, basically what amounts to a journalism show. But but fuck anyone who thinks you shouldn't be able to make a mistake, you know? I mean, it's – unless you're committing violence to somebody, like, you shouldn't be in a cage and not for four, five, six, ten years of your life, of your lo- young life when, when you have so much to offer. And, and I'm just – I'm experiencing this frustration for you. The only solace I can have is you're holding on to hope, which, uh, you know, that's the most addictive drug on the planet is hope. And, and and then the other part of it, too, is that maybe it saved your life some way. You know, the drug that you were messing with can kill you within seconds. And so, you know, like, I, I'm just glad you're in a safe place and maybe you can figure out how to do it the right way. You know, not everybody gets it on the first try, Dig. So, you know... Um, we're rooting for you and obviously stay in touch and keep us updated on, you know, where it goes from here. And if, if there's any programs you're able to get involved in and anything that us or our listeners can do for you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely, um, I'm, I'm thinking that this time I will be a level one. So I won't hopefully have to go to a prison where I'm having to watch my back and, you know, try to, try to survive. I might be able to go somewhere where I can actually do some programs and, um, better myself in some way. Um, my first bit, I, uh, I started out at a pretty violent prison, and I wasn't able to get much out of it. I was just trying to trying to make sure nobody was going to hit me with a lock. You know, that was pretty much the first two years of me being locked up. I was 21, very, very young, never been to prison before. Uh, heroin addict, still been, obviously. Um, and that was what that consisted of for me, was just trying to make sure that somebody didn't come and beat the shit out of me so they could steal five dollars from the food from me. Like that was that was what that amounted to. And then towards the end of it I was able to go to another facility where I actually did get some programming, met some good people. Um, and that that planted a seed in me. And like you said, it, it, it didn't stick the first 
What's one thing that you would? What's one thing that you would offer to someone uh, that's getting out? Somebody who's getting out and they're involved in probation. They have legal terms to meet. What's the one thing that you tell them that saves their life? That that you could tell them that they can hang on to that will prevent them from going back. had a discussion with a very close friend of mine before I was released, and he was telling me, you should go to a halfway house, you should go to a recovery home, you should not go back home, and I, I've been locked up for four years, I just wanted to go home, I just wanted to go see my family, I wanted to go see my girlfriend, I wanted to, I wanted to go home, I just wanted to go home, and that's what I did, and I relapsed four months later, and I'm surprised it didn't happen quicker. What I wish I would have done, I wish I would have listened to that friend. I wish I would have gone to a halfway house immediately, which, by the way, I don't know who all is listening, but halfway house kind of has a little bit of a, a bad connotation to it. Um, anymore, they're, they're more often referred to as recovery homes, and that's what they are. They're not dark, dirty places where a bunch of you know hardened convicts go after being released from prison. For the most part, it's people that are getting and staying sober, and... I kind of had that misconception in my head. I didn't want to go there because it, to me it felt like I was going from going from a prison back to a kind of jail environment, and it's not like that at all. Going there, I got I got linked up with resources. I got plugged into a network that I didn't even know existed. I met sponsors. I met friends, genuine, true friends. Um, it changed my life. The people that I met at the facility that I went to in Lafayette changed my life. And I, I wonder if I would have gone there right out the gate after being released from prison rather than waiting until after my relapse and bonding out and then going there almost a year later. Uh, I don't think that I'd be going back to do my backup time right now. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the advice I would give somebody. Don't go home. As much as you want to, try something different. Unless you absolutely have to go home, I would recommend going to a recovery home as a step down for at least 90 days. At least 90 days. They'll help you get on your feet. They'll have to help you get a job. They'll help plug you in to a network that's going to help you succeed rather than just going out of the frying pan into the fire. Because that's what it's like when you go from, from prison straight to nothing, the street. I mean, that's what's going to happen. You're going to run the street. At least in my experience, that's what happened to me. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I know that that's the number one thing I would recommend. And also, a lot of drug addicts, myself included, for dual diagnosis, like I spoke about earlier, mental health issues. That's what drives me to use 90% of the time. The other 10% of the time I'm bored and I want to have fun, but 90% of the You have one minute left. 90% of the time, I just want to get high to make the pain go away. You can make the pain go away without doing illicit drugs. 
go to a doctor, get medication, get help. It'll change your life. It'll save your life. Thank you so much, man, and uh, we'll be in touch, obviously. I'm always here for you, so uh, we'll get your story out there, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully it touches somebody, because uh, we know that you love to touch people, really. I mean, that's the main thing, is that, yep. All right, love you, buddy. All right. All right, so that was Andrew on Incarcerated. Uh, obviously, you didn't get to hear part one of his story, because we had some technical issues, uh, and part two, he's back in jail. Um, I have a friend right now who I can't get in touch with and I don't know if he's back. Um, it's hard. Recovery is hard. Healing's hard. Healing's hard even when you have to do it in life, let alone under the microscope of the criminal justice system where you cannot make a mistake. I mean, for a lot of people, PTSD and um, addiction issues are rooted in childhood trauma that said that they weren't good enough. They had a parent or a teacher or somebody who was abusive and made them walk a tightrope of perfection that said no matter what they did, they would never be good enough. That's that's the root cause. I listen to a lot of stories in, uh, in these rooms and in these discussions working with people. And for a lot of guys especially, that's the root cause. And then you get caught up in the criminal justice system who says, yeah, you can't make a mistake. You better pass with flying colors every single test put in front of you, even if you're faced with, you know, astronomical fees or classes or working two jobs. No matter what you you face, you have to do it perfectly. And, you know, I just think that we've got to have some objectivity uh, in the judicial chair. If you see somebody who's putting forth effort, how can you give them that kind of time? Thank you for listening to Uncarcerated. Coming up in the next few episodes, we're going to be talking to a doctor. Yes, a doctor is going to join the show. It's very excited about that. We're going to talk about all the new language around mental health um, and, and how that plays into the criminal justice system. She has some unbelievable, passionate, intelligent, insightful ideas about the way we treat people who have overdeveloped and underdeveloped uh, areas of their brain that lead to issues that we lock people up for in this country instead of treating those conditions. Um, and so we're going to talk to her about that. Also, we're going to do a series in one of the most powerful series we've done on this show. Um, I've been saving it. I'm just going to tease it just a little bit. A few years ago, a young man made some decisions in a four, five, six-month period that led him to be on the radar of the drug task force in the community he was in. He was caught with cash and cash only. No drugs, no paraphernalia, just cash. And he has sat in the county jail for three years because of that. And there's a lot more to it than that, but... Court date after court date has been postponed. The charges he was facing, conspiracy charges to sell. He was looking at anywhere from 30 to 60 years for cash. They didn't have anything else, never came forth with any other evidence, uh, and eventually brought him a plea to drop everything down to simple possessions and, um, 
he's get about to be home, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to him about what that experience was like, what three years of county jail was like, and what coming home looks like. They're kicking him out the door, and they're not letting him transfer to the state where he has family and a support system immediately. It's up to 45 days before his probation will transfer him to his home state. So he's going to get out and potentially be homeless, and the state's probation office just does not care. So we're going to discuss all of those things over three, four, five episodes, however long it takes, to get his story out there, and that person is my son. So I'm looking forward to putting that story out there and having some honest discussions about what it looks like to rebuild your life, to make good decisions, um, what happens consequentially when you don't make good decisions, what kind of predatory behavior do you face if you put yourself in that world all sorts of nuanced discussions about who the real bad guy is. Forcing people to take pleas, burying people in paperwork, the lack of communication or effort on the public defenders, the overwhelming caseloads that these public defenders face. We're going to discuss all that with my son over the next couple of months right here on Uncarcerated. Follow us at Uncarcerated on Twitter, you can email me, mlscottblog at gmail.com. I'm Lee Scott. Thank you.